0: Hello and welcome to episode one of the Youth Vote Podcast. I'm the show's creator, Joel Martin, and I can't wait for you to listen to what we have in store for you in season one. In this episode, our hosts, Maya and Sholto, interview author Will Kostakis. Will is the award-winning author of The First Third, The Sidekicks, The Monuments Duology, and The Greatest Hit, a novella about falling in and out of love in lockdown. He's super self-conscious about writing bios in the third person, but not above saying that he's awesome. He's awesome. As with a few of these recordings, they were recorded during COVID restrictions, and as such, some of them, like this one, were done remotely, and thus the quality may be a little lower than some of the other episodes. However, we believe the quality of the conversation more than makes up for it. So, without further ado, let's jump in
1: when you were a student in high school, you won the Sydney Morning Herald Young Writer of the Year for a collection of short stories. Um, What advice would you give to teens and high schoolers aspiring to be writers or interested in writing?
2: The big piece of advice I would give aspiring writers, no matter how old they are, is that they are the worst writer they will ever be right now. And to make sure that they're open to feedback and to take that feedback in the spirit that it's given if it's mean spirited feedback then just you know ignore it but if it's generally helpful feedback or feedback that is given you know in a way that will encourage you to be a better writer just take out a sheet of paper and give what they're suggesting a go more often than not your writing will turn out better because of that feedback and look even though I think I'm a much better writer now than I was in high school. I still get feedback from editors and peers, and that feedback makes my work better. So it is a constant part of the process. There are two parts to a story. There's what I have in my head and what I think I've written. And then there is what somebody who isn't me pictures when they read it. And the whole point of the editorial process is making sure those two different parts get as close together as possible
1: um so you had a book contract when you were just 17 and your first novel was published in 2008 was it difficult to get a publisher for that novel well when i say
2: i got a book deal at 17 and it's usually in front of an audience of adult aspiring writers you just see They all want to kill me instantly, but what, you know, they don't realize is that I was sending books out from year seven. So from 11 years old, I was sending books out and getting rejection letters over and over and over again. And so there are about 20 rejection letters between, you know, when I first started sending books out to when I finally got a yes. So it was... It was challenging to find a publisher, but every time I sent a book out, I got a nicer and nicer response. Like the first one was basically, dear Will, please never write again. Lots of love, (laughs) mail merge. And you know, (laughs) slowly but surely, as I got better, they started to give me feedback. They started to give me pointers. And then come year 12, I pitched them an idea and they were like, oh, hell yeah. Um, I still look at that now and think, I was way too young to get published. I was not really prepared for it. Mm. One, because you don't want a book you wrote at 17 out in the Mm. world forever. Like you can tell a 17 year old boy wrote it. It's just boob joke, boob joke, fart joke, typo. Um, It was not exactly a literary classic and it sold about as many copies as it deserved, which was 10, including the seven I bought myself. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, had that book not, been released when it was had it not completely failed then basically all of my walls crumbled and i threw myself personally into my next book and i began my career in earnest Mm.
3: yeah so um just like expanding on that a little bit um so you said that becoming a published author at the age of 17 was probably you know not the best idea i guess or not the yeah not the not the best thing that you could have done Um, In which ways did you think that it affected you growing up?
2: Um, Well, growing up, I had, I was really fortunate to have, like, even when she wasn't my English teacher, I had a a teacher in the English staff room who always read my work and gave me feedback. And I always, she was just this sort of constant person who was there. And then immediately after that relationship ended, when I left high school, like, I wasn't going to spam her email address after I left. I went to a publisher, and my editor became that person. But what nobody tells you is that in publishing, once the book is published, your editor just stops emailing you. And so it was like I'm sure it would have been great if someone had just told me, "Look, these are the rules." But just to have you build this entire support network at a publisher, and then the book comes out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, we're done." And you know they invite you in for a meal like two weeks later, and they say, "Well." this may or may not have happened, AKA it definitely happened. They were like, Will or another author's name. We were looking at the sales and um, we think you should possibly consider another career because you're not quite ready for this. (laughs) Oh no. Which was great to know two weeks in. So, you know, I achieved my dream at 17. By 19, it realized and I realized I wasn't ready for it. And everyone else realized that too. So yeah, a bit bit rough, but... (laughs)
1: <laughs>
3: so um, growing up, did you always want to be an author? Because so, you said that at the age of 11, you were em- like sending out your books. Was that always a big dream of yours?
2: Yeah, annoyingly so. Like I was that kid who had like copies of old Morris Gleitzman books and I imagined my face over his image and it was like on the back, it says, you know, 100 year old author Morris Gleitzman or however old he is. And I'd be like, nah, it's going to be nine year old Will editor, author of this book. So much so that, you know, by the time I got a book deal at 19 or at least was published at 19, I thought I was too late. Like I had sort of wanted it for so long, which, you know, I look back at it now and I'm like, that is psychotic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was something that I always wanted and really, I wish I didn't. I wish I wanted something else because now that I'm an author, i realize that Nobody cares about authors who are just authors. Like everyone wants to read a book by an astronaut who becomes an author or a musician who becomes an author or a TikTok influencer who becomes an author. So had I known that I would have gotten a whole lot more plastic surgery, you know, worked a lot harder at the gym and, you know, worked some scandalous career <laughs> and then pivoted to writing books in my thirties. But, you know, I started the author thing early. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's um that's I think it's pretty accurate to be honest. I feel, I see feel like there are a lot of books which are sold for based solely on an author's popularity or previous knowledge of them, which is interesting. Well, I'm glad you see that cuz sometimes I worry I'm like have I just
2: become that really cynical old man? Like is that But okay, that's good. That's Look, if I could go back in time, I would focus more on my journalism degree and become like a TV personality. I think that that would
1: have been the nice pivot and then pivoting into, Oh, I wrote a kid's book. <laughs> yeah. Um, What got you into writing books for younger generations in the first place? Um, I sort of got trapped into it because I was writing a book for me and I was
2: 17. So that was, I wanted to write about those experiences. I wanted to rattle the cage. I, had read some really great young adult novels um, in my later years of high school, particularly those by Barry Johnsburg, and I was like, oh, hell, yeah, this is what I want to do. So the 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 more pertinent question is why am I still doing it? It's It's weird now. I'm writing my new young adult novel and I'm like, oh, I actually really empathize with and connect with the adults almost more than I do with the teenagers. And it's the first time this has happened to me. So I'm like, is that my sort of body telling me to move on and write adult? And then, you know, I go visit a school and I talk to teenagers and I'm like, Oh my God, you're all smart asses. And I love you. No, Mm -hmm. this is, this is what I want to write. So yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, um, do you think that you're writing novels? Sorry. So do you think now that you're writing novels that you wish you could have read when you were younger?
2: Oh, yeah. I always, even though I write the book that I want to write now and that reflects the world now, I try not to forget, you know, that 14, 15, 16-year-old Will who was falling out of love with reading. And, yeah, I try to write books that would speak to him and engage him and, yeah, just trying to keep that teenage part of me alive because there's nothing worse than like i'm an avid reader of young adult novels and there's nothing worse than you're reading a young adult novel and it's like oh this is this is a book about a 40 year old but they've just changed the age to 17 and they've said it's a teenager like so i'm very wary of becoming
1: that kind of author Mm. yeah i feel like with young adult fiction my experience um a lot of the time it can be just it's it either overestimates or underestimates how mature and intelligent young adults are and teenagers yeah. are because it's like this kind of weird mix of both. It's, yeah, awkward. Yeah. It just comes off as bad. It's,
2: my favourite is when it's like, hi, I have all of these very adult responsibilities of someone who is the exact age of my author. But, you know.
1: Yeah. So, but it's actually
3: yeah. about a 15-year-old, guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Were you surprised when you won the 2014 Gold Inky Awards? Um, yes, because
2: I was up against some really, really popular authors. But it was... So, the Inky was a really great prize before they decided to stop doing it. It was basically teenagers could vote for their favourite books. Um, and the authors sort of campaigned like it was an Oscars season. So... You know, I was doing lots of Melbourne school visits. So I'm like, hey, everyone, here's an iPad. Vote for my book, please. But, you know, I didn't expect to get anywhere near winning. Um, So winning was, it was a really, really great honour. And I know people are always like, it's, it's a pleasure just to be nominated. But it really, really was because all the people I was nominated with we've now become really, really good friends. So we actually met on the day that the winner was announced and we walked away from that and were like, this is really great. Let's all be friends. And we're like, we went from being competitors to just lifting each other up, which is really nice.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So do you um, find yourself collaborating like back and forth ideas with a lot of friends that are writers or is it more kind of a, your own sort of thing?
2: No, I think it's my own sort of thing. It's I'm I've worked like I worked so hard with my English teachers in the past that I now have their sort of critical voices in my head. So when I talk through an idea with someone else, and then they give me the solution, I'm too spiteful. I'm like, no, I don't want to use your solution. I try yeah. to find my own. Um and that's probably not the most efficient way to work, but I would love one day to co-write a book or co-write several. Um, I reckon that would be a lot of fun and I have to do half the writing, but apparently it's just as much work. And I was terrible at group work so I in high school, so I would hate to have to do it professionally. But, yeah.
3: Definitely would be an experience, I guess.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's like, what if they come up with an idea that I absolutely hate? But, you know... For teamwork you have to be like
3: sure like uh, cooperate. I'd be really
2: petty and in interviews I'd be
1: like, no, that was their idea. If you hate it, drag mm-hmm. them. Slowly <laughs> make your name just smaller on the front of the book so that you don't get any you don't have to like deal with any of the hassle with their uh, But I still get my fifty percent. <laughs>
3: <laughs> How did you feel when you saw and read the email from De La Sale College regarding one of your books as they saw it inappropriate?
2: Oh, De La Salle College. I had just finished a school talk at another school about, so the equivalent of the VCE is the HSC. And so I'd just done a like sort of how to creative write under exam conditions for that. And I left that school. I was feeling really, really good. And I had like four missed calls and a few emails and they were like, oh, call us. Rah. Um, It was quite upsetting. So the context for people who are listening is that, I came out in a really inoffensive blog post that was so inoffensive that I didn't even mention the word gay. Um, I just spoke about how when you're in the closet, you have lots of close friends. So when people spot you out with someone and you don't want to tell them they're your partner, you say they're your close friends. And what does that do? That diminishes their value in your life. That tells the person who asks you who they are that you don't trust them. And it's you telling yourself that there is something wrong with, who you care for and who you love. So it's just hurting everyone in the process. And so I wrote an article about that and no one noticed. And then I was due to speak at this school that I'd spoken at before as kind of like a freebie launch for the new book. And they were like, you know, in light of the recent blog post, it's no longer appropriate for you to come and speak. Um, And it was... Look, it was really it was unpleasant. Um, I remember just that sort of full body, like not shaking, but like you, when your heart races and you sort of just stomach you feel less stable in yourself. Yeah. And look, if I remember the wording correctly, they, they tried to give me an out and be like, Oh, you can still come, but like, don't mention the book or your sexuality. And it's <laughs> like, oh, okay. So like be there, but don't really be there. Um, and, I made a decision in that instance where I was like, you know what? I'm going to, nobody has ever said, will um, you're about to speak to year sevens, but just don't mention the Greek character. But, you know, I was like, that's how I'm just going to alternate the G words. So if they haven't said it about me being Greek, then they can't say it about me being gay. And that's Mm. it. Hard line. This is going to be my approach. And so I remember my agent at the time wanted to write the response for me because they wanted to quote unquote preserve the relationship with the school. So I thought, Oh, okay. So this is literally worth a $150 booking fee. Like that's, I will pay you the $150. So they just wanted to sort of book it with someone else. But I was like, no, no, I wrote the email and I, I rewrote that email a lot. I had to be like, how do I write this in a really nice way? Um, So I definitely wanted to be very unprofessional in that reply email. Um, But then I realized it was like, okay, if I keep this private, I'm going to keep getting this email. So I need to just publicly say, look, if you send me an email like this and I redacted the name of the school, then this is the reply. So just don't do it. And then uh, the media found out about that blog post and then it became this whole thing. And it it was this really weird thing where religious-affiliated schools were suddenly like, oh, Will's really controversial. We don't want him to come and speak anymore. Um, and then schools that weren't religiously-affiliated saw that and said, yeah, you're right. Will can't come and speak at all. Like, they moved my other books into the adults-only section of like libraries. And I'm like, what, why? Like, it hasn't like, you liked the book when I was quote unquote straight yesterday, it's still the same book. Um, and so that was really jarring. And it went, I went from like speaking at two or three schools a week to speaking at none for close to, I think three or four months. And then I slowly I slowly got back into it and I want to say it was because of the adults who were like, Oh, this is stupid. We, we all know Will is a quality speaker who like doesn't give sex ed talks and things like that. Um, and if I did, who cares? Someone has to do queer sex ed, but anyway, all I do is get up there and talk about the love of reading and writing. Um, but they didn't, they didn't, support me as much as the teenagers did if a teenager found out that I wasn't allowed to speak at their school they were usually smart asses about it in the best way like one of the schools that cancelled one of my gigs because it was a flow on effect um this kid printed out a photo of my head like an A4 size and then made a life size version of my body and would hide me around the school and they were like oh my god wills in the library and they would tag it and put it on the school social media um, until the school sort of cracked and then invited me to speak. So that was really funny. It was it was the teenagers who had sort of the courage and you know, like this was only six years ago, and teenagers, I find your generation doesn't really give as much of a damn about sexuality or gender expression and things like that. And they're quite supportive of their peers in a really, really wonderful way. I know I'm speaking generally and I know there are still ass hats out there, but compared to what my generation went through and the generations prior, um, it's really, really wonderful to see. But I think the adults in the room haven't quite unlearned their upbringing yet and that the world has changed, that people are seeking out queer content, not because it's instructional, but because they want to read something different than boy meets girl girl is clumsy, boy is bad, and then good the end, right? Um, They're just starving for these different kinds of stories and um, Australia was really, really far behind. I think we're still really, really far behind. Mm -hmm. Like I think this month the US published in one day, they published like 17 queer young adult novels, whereas here we haven't had 17 queer young adult novels in the past three years like um so yeah we're slowly paying catch up and it's but it's the teens and the kids who are really pushing it
1: mm. yeah yeah that's touching to hear Thank yeah you. we'll take the compliments for our generation yeah. um, <laughs> um oh yeah uh i guess just this is as a aside i want to say that uh i feel like um your comment about having lots of close friends in the when in the closet uh yeah that really does hit with me personally because I know that was something I did a lot um with my Mm -hmm. current partner as well I'd be like you know when my parents would ask I'd be like you know that's just my good friend and then yeah there's that kind of awkward moment and um I guess shame as well which is it just wasn't fun to go through yeah
2: and it's death by a thousand cuts and it's like what's the point? Like, um,
1: yeah.
2: And thanks so much for sharing. Um, yeah. It's at the end of the day, like what really frustrates me is, is that the schools that, you know, chucked a tantrum over that. I'm like, if I could, even if I was telling that story to a room full of 300 kids and 299 of them were straight, with no curiosity at all but one kid was struggling with it. Wouldn't you think, you know what, we can make that one kid's life a little bit brighter and make it a little easier for them in this cohort. Like that is a net positive. But for a long time when it comes to sex education and gender and all that sort of stuff, teachers and people with power in schools were so worried about imaginary adults who may possibly make a complaint at some point when really the major stakeholders at a school are the teenagers, right? This is like, that's where you spend most of your time. It's your second family. It is your support network. Like you can't just ignore those kids. Yeah. But yeah thank you. Thank you so much for that aside. I appreciate you mentioning it.
1: Yeah. That's no problem. It was, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I guess another question is, had that kind of treatment from De La Salle and other colleges been something you had anticipated in any way, or was it just, like, this complete shock? It
2: was a complete shock because Love, Simon, or as it was previously known, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, was the big book at that time. hmm And so I was like, okay, this is weird. Like, are you banning that book too? And they were like, no, it's because you're a gay. Um, And Becky had not come out as bi at that point. And so it was this really weird sort of stage where we absolutely embraced books by cis-presenting straight assumed women, um, but any books by queer men were seen as the devil's work. So. I didn't, it completely blindsided me. Like I was really nervous about it so much so that I didn't say the word gay, like in my coming out, like I was, and I was still very wary of sort of coming out to people. I had to, when sort of the age wrote an article about this incident, that's how I came out to most people. I just posted it on Facebook and I'm like, whoopsies. And like, that was how I came out, uh, which was not the best, but um, yeah, I didn't anticipate it. And the problem was, I didn't anticipate how it would shape me. Like I was very content with being that being the only thing I said, like I was not going to be brave about this. I was going to say, I have quote unquote, close friends. It would be a wink and a nudge. And you know, the queer kids would understand what I was saying. And that was it because, you know, whenever I said the word gay, my voice would tremble. And then a side effect of all this happening was schools were like, well, we'd love for you to talk about the gay stuff. And I'm like, Oh, And so I had to sort of get over that fear and say the word. And now I walk into schools and, you know, it used to be, I'd set myself a challenge where I'm like, okay, if I'm speaking, I'm giving four talks today at some point today, I'm going to say unambiguously that I'm gay. Whereas now every single talk that I give, I will work in the fact that I'm a homo. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing is it's, it stopped being scary for me when I saw the the kids in the room perk up when they like, they didn't see their exact experiences in me, but they, they felt seen. They were like, oh my God, one of us. Like, and that's, yeah, I didn't anticipate what happened, but then I also didn't anticipate just how much
1: it would change me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense
3: yeah definitely so did you think that it just kind of like helped your overall like confidence and just comfortability in yourself and everything or did you feel Yeah, 100
2: i'm i'm a big believer in sort of yes everyone find the right time but there's no real right time come out whenever even if it's just like oh i've had these thoughts like i could be a maybe like that's fine it's nothing we again it's mostly straight people who have defined this where it's like oh you come out you are this person for the rest of your life where it's like, no, it is, you know, everything is fluid. You know, I think we're all some level of pansexual and, you know, it depends on the person you meet, things like that. Like everyone wants to put us in a box and keep us there. And so it's very scary for us to say the word because we don't want to spend our whole life in a box because it's like, what if we don't want to be in that box in 30 years time the second i came out publicly and completely i was far more comfortable in my own skin and i got to live my whole truth openly and when you're a writer especially you're reflecting on lived experiences i would have lived experiences but be scared to write about them and share them. And, you know, having those walls between myself and the readers, that doesn't result in good, honest writing. And as someone who gives inspirational speeches and talks to teenagers, teenagers can smell a bullshit artist from a mile away. Like I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was telling them the truth. And if I was going to encourage teenagers to be open with each other, I had to be open and honest with them because, there will come a point where, you know, openly queer people just existing normally will be the norm, definitely in your lifetimes. I'm hoping in mine. But um, yeah, it's the sooner we sort of get over that fear of coming out and just come out and start living authentically, the more people who come out, the easier it is for everyone. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah.
3: definitely.
1: Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, I guess kind of linked with that, what issues do queer people face in the publishing industry in your experience? And- <laughs> what can I say without getting into trouble?
2: Um, look, the big, the big thing that we're facing now is that queer stories are suddenly profitable, and they're suddenly things that they realise after telling us for years oh, maybe un-gay this character, or no, you can't have this be gay because then it won't get put into schools, where now queer stories are popular and they are being accepted into schools. So it's this really weird thing now where after 10 years, say, professionally for me, being told don't write gay characters, now I'm being told make everything gayer, which is great, um and true equality is having really bad gay books being written (laughs) (laughs) um but i do really worry with how commercialized it's become so quickly because at some point they're going to stop selling there is going to be so many that it's going to become stale and it's no longer going to be fresh and new and then what's going to happen is a publisher going to say okay gay books don't sell anymore." so I'm just really wary of, I don't want publishers to be in this for a quick buck. I want them to know that queer stories are here to stay forever. And um, the, the dark days are gone and they are never coming back. Yeah, and yeah. I
3: guess also, cause like literature and writing is a way of expressing yourself and expressing the times and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you're just writing for profit, doesn't that kind of take away the whole purpose of writing in the first place? Cause it's like expression of yourself. Yeah. And
2: the thing is for so long, we haven't been reflecting the world. And look, most media still doesn't like turn on channel nine and that Mm. is white and straight, like the channel. And it's like, that is not Australia. Mm. Like I'm sure if you walk down the street in Fitzroy, it would be very different to the, to, you Mm. know what channel nine reflects and things like that. And free to wear and Australian films and um, it's by actively making our stories culturally hegemonic. so I'm talking super white and you know super straight we're actually lying we're not we're not reflecting the world it is it's not authentic it is really, really unrealistic, and um, yeah, I just hope we don't get spooked and sort of go back in the proverbial closet.
0: Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us on our next episode next week, where we'll be chatting with climate activist Josephine Foster. You can find out more about The Youth Vote and our archive of episodes at theyouthvote.com.au and you can chat with us at the Youth Vote Pod on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again.